can lose your biggest account. Mm. You can, you know, have a new competitor come into town and start taking a bunch of stuff away from you. It's, it's constant uncertainty when you own your own business. And when you're working for somebody else and you just got a steady paycheck, it's a vast difference. So if you just think, okay, I don't want to scare people away from it. It's not impossible mm. um, to do. It's just a kind of a mindset where you go, okay, another body blow. So what? I'm still standing, right? Just get up and get going again. Mm. So if you can't deal with that, then you'd have a tough time in business for yourself. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has grown several uh, startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as uh, founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. Now, and if you ever need help, feel free to reach out to us at strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the episode, and it's uh, Gary and Brose, I think is the last name. Brose, yes. Brose, close. Um, and so Gary, he went to, uh, never took one college uh, business class, um, because he never looked or thought of himself as being a business guy. But I think if you mentioned, right, you did, uh, you got into delivering pizzas during college. Um, <laughs> you went and worked for FedEx for a period of time. And you, after about five years of FedEx, you decided FedEx wasn't, uh, wasn't fun anymore. So you quit FedEx, moved to Seattle, um, then, uh, uh started, I think a, a small courier business, that uh, was under finance or didn't quite go as well. So then you realized uh, what you wanted to do is a bit different. So you made some adjustments and pivots and kind of brought you to where you're at today. And with that much, and I won't steal your thunder too much. So with that much as an introduction, welcome onto the podcast, Gary. Thanks, Devin. Glad to be here. So I, I gave just a, a small snippet of your journey, but maybe take us back to kind of going into college, never taking a business class, delivering pizza, working for FedEx, and kind of tell us how your journey started. Well, I just... Uh... You know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was in college and I'd be fascinated by one subject after another and I could never make a decision on what I was going to major in. So I did what they call a general studies, right? Mm. Where you have to write your own major out. And mm. I said, okay, urban planning I like and poli sci and, uh, and a little, you know, public relations, advertising kind of stuff. And I threw them all together and just created a, uh, a general studies uh major so that I could just graduate, right? I wanted to get out of there and get in the world, <laughs> uh, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just was fairly certain I didn't want to be in business, be a business dude, right? <laughs> sure. and, and so I, I worked for FedEx right after mm. I got out of college because it was paying pretty well for those days. Mm. This is 1975, right? Mm. And I was making a big 485 an hour or something and th thought that I was <laughs> rolling in it. And, uh, I worked with them for five years mm. and, and uh, it was very interesting. They were just at that point where they were growing really fast. So mm. I was a driver for a few years and then a dispatcher. And then they moved me to Richmond, Virginia, Cincinnati, and then Chicago to manage their facilities there. Mm. I didn't have an ounce of an idea what I was doing. It just, you know, mm. uh, it was, I was learning on the job. I didn't know what a PL was. I mean, mm. I, I had no understanding of things but I was good at managing people. Hmm. And, and that was just sort of natural for me. I don't know why. And it was. And so I, I actually grew up during those years with FedEx thinking to myself, this is actually kind of fun. Because back in those days, they'd let us run the station, run the whole city, right? 
And there are very few, I mean, they'd make the pricing decisions, but there were very few policies in place. It was like running your own business. And I thought, oh, I kind of like this, right? Mm. Then I got to the point where I got higher up and it started becoming more bureaucratic and the company changed and you know, nothing against FedEx at all. It's a great company, but it just it didn't match what I wanted to do. So by that time mm. I had the bug, I wanted to, to run my own business, right? So I moved back to Seattle and uh, looked for a business to buy found a little courier firm. Well, let me, let me dive in just really quick. So you, you're working with FedEx, you know, five years, that's a good little amount of time. And, you know, get it, get some experience, get that, you know, get some, uh, you know, experience under the belt. So what was, you know, you say you kind of got worn out. What was it about the, you know, the FedEx was it wanted to make more, didn't want, you didn't love the work anymore. What, what was it made you to say, Hey, I'm going to leave that and go back to Seattle and, and try my own or my hand at my own courier business. I think there was an epiphany I had when I had a senior manager, a, a vice president of the uh, region for FedEx, mm. decide that that they were going to make some changes on the personnel rules. Mm. And I was my job was to put a happy face on that and tell all the employees why it was really a great idea, because I had to be following orders, right? Mm. I'm not. I was a station manager, not a VP. So. Um, I just found myself not appreciating that opportunity, <laughs> right? Mm. It wasn't fun. Everybody mm. knew I was lying through my teeth. I didn't think it was a good idea. And, and I thought, boy, this is just the beginning. This mm. is what I got to look forward to as long as I'm working for somebody else in a management role. Mm. And at that moment, I decided to give my 30-day notice and left FedEx, moved back to Seattle during a recession. and. Uh, and look for a business to buy. And I had no idea what it was going to be. But I told my wife, don't worry, it's not going to be in the courier industry. Mm. Well, <laughs> you know, I couldn't find something that intrigued me. And then I mm. found this little business and uh, thought, uh, you know, there's only three employees, but uh, I can I can build this up. I can make it, make it happen. Mm. So I, I bought them, but I was under finance for a long period of time. And, mm. uh, and it was uh, a challenge. But I, I still own that company. I'm still running it along with its new variations and it's bigger and different completely from what I bought it when I bought it. But, um, but I like the business. It's, uh, it's kind of a satisfying thing. You know, everyday people are giving you deliveries, packages that have to be from mm. point A to point B in a certain amount of time. And it's mm. like a puzzle. And it's mm. a logistics issue totally. And it's just, it's just I still enjoy it. No. So, and I think that makes perfect sense, you know, and it's interesting how much, how sometimes we eat our own words and says, Oh, I don't want to do the courier business anymore. And then it's like, Oh, maybe it wasn't the courier business. It was really aspects of it. And if I can do my own thing and manage it and run it the way I want and kind of do it differently, then you can a lot of times find that joy, even if it, you know, even if you have to eat your own words, so to speak. So now you did that, you mentioned it was under finance and, you know, it was doing it. So how did you, get, you know, how did you make that turnaround or did you make the turnaround or how did you make that adjustment? Or, you know, you said that took for a period of time and those type of things. So how did that play out? So I'm looking at my, my P and L, right. I'm finally learning how to interpret it because there was a, a deal where I better learn fast or I'm going to be sinking here. Hmm. And so I'm, I'm looking at my P and L and I'm seeing, it's pretty obvious what I already knew. I got about 70% of all my costs are labor costs. Hmm. Okay. Overhead was pretty low. And, um, uh, but, you know, major percentage of all my expenses was labor cost. Mm. So if I was going to improve productivity or improve profitability, rather, 
I thought, boy, that's the thing to focus on. How can I get mm. everybody to be more productive? Mm. And, and so I started experimenting. Uh, I wanted to do bonus programs of some mm. kind, focus the drivers and the employees on the correct things that I wanted them to do that I thought for sure would increase both productivity and profitability. Mm. And uh, so I go to the library. This is before the internet, right? I go to the library and I think I'm going to check out every book they've got on uh, creating bonus programs. Mm. I'm going to study it and I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. So I did. I checked out every single book, all zero of them. Okay? <laughs> nothing. Mm. There's nothing there. And, um, and so I thought, oh, great. I'm on my own here. I'm going to just figure this out. So mm. I experimented. I started out with one bonus program. It was a disaster. I mean, I, it was wrong on so many levels, right? Seemed like a good idea at the time. So just and, out of curiosity, um, what was that bonus program? Or oh, do you remember the details? I just Oh, I do. I, I drew this thermometer on the wall, right? Mm. And then we were trying to count the number. We were counting the number of deliveries we did every day. And it was about 80 deliveries a day back then. One mm. big company at all, right? Mm. And, and uh, so I said, well, I'd love to do 100 a day. So let's see, there's 20 days in the month there. It's going to be 2,000. So 2,000 deliveries is our goal. And then I'd color in the thermometer every day, representing the amount of deliveries that we did that day and trying to build it up, trying to make it good. And I told everybody, okay, you get 50 bucks, which was a lot of money back then <laughs> in uh, 1981. Um, we'll give, give all the employees 50 bucks if we hit 2,000. Okay. Well, we didn't. Okay. We hit like 1992 or something. Right. <laughs> so, well, I had made the rules and of course everybody then says, well, we came pretty close. Shouldn't we get 40 bucks or something? Right. And <laughs> which, which sort of defeated the whole purpose. I mean, you know, the, the idea is no, I'm not going to get subjective now and, and say, well, I guess that was good enough. Right. Anyway, mm -hmm. it was a disaster. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I learned, okay, well, don't ever just set one goal, right? Set mm. a series of goals and make the bonus bigger as they get they get bigger, okay? This, that was obvious after the fact, but it wasn't going in. Mm. Um, and and I learned a bunch of other things, but I, I so I did a second bonus program that was, I can't even remember what it was now, it was different. Mm. And, and a third, fourth, fifth, 85th, 85th, right? Uh, 219th, they all failed because mm. the goal was, they have to reward the employee fairly. They've got to motivate them to do the right thing because of the bonus. It's got to mm. be enough to motivate them, right? And it has to produce the results I'm looking for, better you know, profitability or better productivity or whatever. Mm. And then finally, too, I can't forget the customers here on this. It had to make a better experience or better product service for the customers. Mm. Well, that's how I rated how whether the bonus program is right. And it only took me 25 years. How's that all? Not a big trial and error in the real world. And I was just so pig-headed. Every time I did it, I go, oh, that was close. That was really close. <laughs> but I wasn't that close. I just didn't understand that at the time. Um, and, and then after about 25 years, I, mm. I had identified what I call the 80 central elements of a quality bonus program. And then after we figured that out, after I figured that out, every bonus program worked. Everyone met all the qualifications. So, so now dive in that, a little bit. So a you, long journey. 25 years is a long time to figure out a bonus program. Now it's, it's also not an easy problem to solve. And so, you know, because almost to your point is 
it almost seems like every bonus program you try and roll out, there's things that you just don't think about or, you, you know, don't anticipate that are either one, the employees take advantage of, or two, it doesn't motivate them right or motivates them to do the wrong thing, or you, you know, you lose money on it or any number of things. And so walk us through a little bit, you know, some of the things that you did try that didn't work. And then what, or what was the kind of the, the final solution that now does work? Well, and I had, I had to identify what it was that each employee was doing. So I had some people that were in our call center. Hmm. So their, their goal was to answer the phones quickly. So I associated the bonus with and a computer added, you know, this is a little later in the year, the in nineties or something, the hmm. computer could tell us how many calls were coming in and how fast they were answered. Hmm. Okay. And our goal was to answer within like six seconds or eight seconds or something. I can't remember what it was now, mm. but, but it was a certain specific time. And the computer told us exactly what percentage of calls we were answering within that amount of time. Mm. Okay? So we were able to, to, you know, what I learned with bonus programs, it can't be subjective. It has to be very objective, right? Mm. It's just numbers. You make the numbers, you get the bonus. You don't make the numbers, you don't get a bonus, mm. right? It's cut and dry, but Anyway, so I set this goal. I said, okay, we want 95% of all the calls to be mm. answered within eight seconds. Okay. Mm. So, and the bonuses is uh, X number of dollars for a month. Okay. At the end of the month, we are seeing what are we average for the whole month and then you get your bonus. Okay. Well, mm. <laughs> well, the very first week we're trying this thing out, we had two people out sick. Okay. Now we have less people in there to answer the phones and we are busier than usual. So for after the very first week, we'd done like 82% or something. Mm. Well, if you do the math, you're going, well, wait a minute, is it even possible to get the 95 by the end of the month? Mm. And, and it was, but we'd have to do like 99.8% every day for the rest of the month, right? It was just mm. ridiculous. So everybody else did the math too. And they, that was the end of that one. After one week, nobody cared. Right, no incentive. It's so hard to achieve or so unattainable that it's not worth putting in the effort in the first. Right, time. right, right. It wasn't going to. There's no way to do that percentage anyway. It's not realistic because um, the calls always come in groups, and you, you can't plan for everything. So, anyway, so I learned. Okay, that doesn't work. So mm. when you're playing with percentages, you got to make sure you're not going to get to the point where somebody either makes the goal real early and then kicks back, mm. or screws up the goal early in the in the period and, then and can't up. recover okay mm. so so we changed that to a daily goal and instead mm. of being monthly and I, I, i'm not still paying the bonus monthly but mm. every day based on the performance for that day we would add x number of dollars to the to the pool of money that would be distributed between everybody mm. and so if they did over 95 percent that day they got the maximum amount in Okay. Mm. Now everybody was focused. What I really learned is it, it you have to mi minimize the time period that you're dealing with to keep people focused on it. Mm. Quarterly bonuses don't work. Monthly works or every payday works, mm. right? Otherwise they can't stay focused on it. And your goal is to keep them really focused on it. So that's pretty much all they're thinking about. Because mm. I know in this industry, the customers get really upset when you're not answering the phone fast. Hmm. So you got to answer it quickly or else, or else they don't call back next time. They call some other service and hmm. the whole service is based on lots of repeat business. So anyway, we learned that lesson about the time period and about uh, how to work with percentages so that they don't work against you. 
and we still had a few days where they, you know, got off to a terrible start early in the morning and, and recovered kind of, but you get, we gradiated the goals, mm. tiered them, right? So they mm. still get more and more if they just get up a couple more percentage points. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I just learned from those kinds of experiences, how to design these bonus programs. And, uh, and that, you know, if you just focus the program mm. on one specific uh measure measurement one specific thing you're measuring at a time then mm. everybody's thinking about that one thing and that's the one thing that you can either prove or you're convinced increases your volume of business or decreases your cost or increases productivity however you want to say it um mm. to to make a big difference on the bottom line so i wrote a couple of books about this after i realized okay i finally figured it out because i didn't think everybody else wanted to do 25 years of trial and error. <laughs> if somebody had told me when I started that, oh, by the way, it's going to take you 25 years to figure this out. I would say, well, I'm going to come up with some other idea because I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> you would have given, but I think that's almost all business. If you knew on the front end what it would take to get the business successful and up and going and figure things out, you would, I think almost everybody would give up, right? Because yeah. you always, oh, yeah. I think it's the entrepreneur in a good way, but it's always, it always has a bit of self-denial in there in the sense that if you didn't have a bit of optimism or self-denial, you would never dive into things in the first place. And yet, because you have that sense of optimism, you're willing to take on the challenges and eventually figure it out, even if it takes you much longer than anticipated. Yeah, and I, and I always say, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist because why wouldn't I be? I mean, who would do this? And who in their right mind would run their own small business if they weren't an optimist? I mean, it's just, it's tough enough as it is without <laughs> going through this stuff. So, yeah. So now you've, you've done that. So you've, you've spent 25 years. It was all the same business, building the business, the courier business. Well, I, I owned, uh, I bought and purchased uh, a bunch of other delivery companies and merged them in, but I also started uh, a um, indoor uh, family entertainment business. Mm -hmm. uh, miniature golf and batting cages and that kind of thing and video games and we, I ran that for 15 years at the same time and did a lot of the same concepts with the employees there um, and I, I bought and started a, a road repair service and a couple other different things a little computer game company and uh, and just whatever I thought I had the energy to jump into and um, it's been fun it's been a ride right and it's hasn't been it hasn't been the get rich quick process by any means but it's rewarding i got a lot of friends who used to be employees or still are and um yeah it, it's uh, i enjoy it i mean i i i know now that i've done this i could never either go back now to work for somebody else or mm. i could never have lasted 40 years working for somebody else i would have blown up or something no, make, makes perfect sense. So, so it sounds like a lot of fun things along the way. I learned a lot. And I said, now you're, I think as we talked a bit, you're, you're getting towards, you know, every or towards the end of the career, looking at, or kind of maybe taking a step back. And if I'm putting words in your mouth, by all means, put them back, but, you know, looking and saying, okay, I've been doing courier. I've been doing these businesses. Now I want to go in and share my knowledge a bit. And you've written a couple books, maybe you can get, uh, focus a bit more on speaking gigs and kind of sharing the knowledge that you've accumulated. Is that about right? Yeah, I've been trying to do the speaking thing and consulting thing more, and I have a little bit at times, but the uh, but I'm still running the businesses, uh, the courier businesses uh, um, daily, 
Mm. And we're 24 seven. So it, you know, it takes a lot of energy. Um, but maybe you take the hundred hours a week and now you only have to work 80 hours a week. Yeah. Day. Yeah. Right. That too. <laughs> and I tried to segue through that. Um, and I have gotten freed up more than I used to be definitely, but mm. yeah, I'm ready to kind of make a, a bigger move and, and move on to, uh, to more things. I enjoy writing and I just, uh, uh, I, I like to talk to other business people about this topic and about how to increase more motivated and engaged workforce. And I developed a couple of different other processes, including a radical way to do performance reviews and uh, um, just some techniques that business owners can, can do to keep a, the morale up and keep mm. people motivated and, and, and engaged. And I learned a lot from that and I'd like to share it. So that's what I'm doing. Awesome. That's a, that's a fun journey to take. So now as we, uh, as we wrap up that part of the journey, at the end of each podcast, I always like to ask two questions. So we'll jump to those now. So right. along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? You know, I, I thought about that and it's pretty clear. The first, the very first decision I made was the worst one. Mm. Um, because I didn't have a business experience, I bought one book about how to buy a business. Mm. And I read it, made sense to me. And it was basically to, in a nutshell, you know, forecast the earnings mm. based on what their, their business model is and what their business is doing and multiply it times a multiplier of somewhere between one and five to mm. come up with a price that mm. you're willing to pay. Mm-hmm. So that made sense to me. The only mistake I made was a huge one. I mean, just monstrous, right? is I looked at the business as it was and said, what could I build this up to? And, <laughs> and, it, and I didn't quite understand the idea was to price the value of the business based on where it was that day, not what I could take it to. So I forecasted five-year plan and how much volume and revenue I thought I'd make and how much profit I'd make. And, and then I, I offered a price. Well it was way too high. I mean, I overpaid by now by what I know I overpaid by a lot. I mean, a ton, uh, Mm. six, eight times more than it was worth. Hmm. So, and I, (laughs) and I didn't really have that much money. So I put it all on a six month balloon payment. Right. Hmm. And, uh, and thought, well, I'll crank this up. Then I'll borrow some money from the bank. And, buy it and everybody wins, right? Well, mm. <laughs> it didn't quite work that way. Um, but anyway, that's that's why, you know, I, I always say I was you know, at 29 when I bought the business, I was young, dumb and underfinanced. And I was underfinanced because I was paying way too much for the company and it was killing me. Mm. And so when you're trying to buy your very first business, if there are people out there listening, thinking they want to get into this now and do their own thing, it's fine. Just get some good advice and bring in somebody else who's smarter than you are to help you figure out what to offer in terms of how much you're willing to pay for business. Um, mm. That one was a killer. And it took me a good 20 plus years to overcome that. Mm. No, and I, I think that's, 
you know, it's kind of the old adage of, you know, the when you're buying a house, the, the profits made at the time you buy the house, right? In the sense that if you buy well, then you're going to make good money off of it. Or if it's an investment and if you buy poorly, it can take a long time for the housing market to reach where you can make back your investment. And I think there's yep. a lot of that similarity with the business is if you buy it a good deal or you buy it a place that you can be profitable, it can make a big difference. And on the flip side, if if you buy the business and you overpay or, overpay or it's overvalued, it can, if you can recover cover it can take a long time so i think it's certainly an easy mistake to make especially because a lot of times you get really excited about the business you can see all the possibilities all the potential and you tell yourself well i can turn it around and i'll do all these things and you over you know you kind of overhype in your mind what you're all able to do over a period of time sure so you get excited about the deal and you never you don't evaluate it as, as well as you should have so i think that makes perfect sense so now as you to take the, um, we'll jump to the second question, which is if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say, and I have, I have talked on this topic with other people before, and I really come to the conclusion that it is the, what I believe is that they have to learn to live with uncertainty and be okay with it. Um, I didn't understand until I got into it that fortunately, I guess my my style of business was such that that I was low key enough and calm enough where I could get through some rough spots without freaking out. Right. Mm. But I'd have paydays of 40,000 bucks or something coming up and only fifteen thousand dollars in the bank. Well, Mm. I originally, you know, when that first started happening, I couldn't sleep that night. And. I was just nervous. I figured out what am I going to do? I can't tell the employees I can't pay them. So what I I learned was I developed backup plans for everything that I could think of. And I borrowed money off of credit cards. I negotiated lines of credit when I probably didn't deserve lines of credit. And and I did all sorts of different things to try and prepare, including not cash in my own paycheck because uh, (laughs) I needed to leave the money in the bank. Mm. Um, and, And so that's hard to deal with. And you have to kind of, and I reached a point pretty quickly where I just go, well, I'm doing the best I can do. I'm throwing everything I got at it and it'll work out. And I tell you, even though I did that on probably 30, 40% of all the paydays, Mm. an example, right? I never missed one. I never had to tell an employee, don't cash your check. I told a couple of managers that worked with me, don't cash your check. Um, But we were able to get through it. And that was the biggest example. There's other things that come up. I mean, you lose your biggest account. Mm. You can, you know, have a new competitor come into town and start taking a bunch of stuff away from you. It's, It's constant uncertainty when you own your own business. And when you're working for somebody else and you just got a steady paycheck, it's a vast difference. So if you just think, okay, I don't want to scare people away from it. It's not impossible mm. um, to do. It's just a kind of a mindset where you go, okay, another body blow. So what? I'm still standing, right? Just get up and get going again. Mm. So if you can't deal with that, then you'd have a tough time in business for yourself, though, I think. No, and I'd agree with all that advice. I think it'd be good advice to take to heart. Well, as we wrap up, as people want to find out more, whether they want to hire you for a speaking gig, they want to buy one of your books, they want to learn more about what you're doing, um, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you and connect up with you? Uh, They can go to my website and reach me through that. That's uh, www.smallbizsherpa.com. That's smallbizsherpa.com. 
And um, there's more information on books there, but the books are also on uh, Amazon. And um, Bonus Your Way to Profits was the first one I wrote. And The Ultimate Motivated Employee was the second. And there's a couple more after that. But uh, if they just Google my name or uh, go to my website, they will uh, find me. All right. Well, I I'm definitely happy to help. All right. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to uh, check out more, reach out to Carrie. If you want to know more about how to make your business successful via bonuses and how to and motivate employees, if you, or check out his books, hire him as a speaking gig, Eddie or all the above. And thank you, Gary, for coming on. Now, if you're a listener and uh, you have your own journey to tell, um, make sure to go to inventiveguest.com uh, and you're welcome to sign up. Uh, to be a guest on the podcast. Um, if you are a listener, also make sure to click subscribe um, so you get notifications as all the awesome episodes come out. And if you would, leave us a review. And last but not least, um, if you um, ever need help with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. We're always here to help. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Well, Gary, thank you again. It's been a pleasure to have you on and wish the next leg Thanks of your journey even better than the last. Thank you very much. Good luck to everybody.